Hey there. Welcome to Twins Talk Clear-Cut Communication. Yes, we are twins. And yes, we are two old guys who should know better than to try to tackle the topic of communication in a podcast. But we're going to do it anyway, and hopefully you'll find it informative and maybe even enjoyable. Hey, we're coming to you from center of the world, Ohio. And Jenny, that's a real town. We decided some months ago we would start just finding weird towns thought Center of the World, Ohio. Now, are you familiar with Center of the World, Ohio? I am not. You thought it was Columbus. I actually thought it was either Columbus or or a real small town in Iowa. That's kind of the center of the universe where this whole thing started for me. (laughs) Well, I personally think that's a level of arrogance that Ohio doesn't deserve. That's right. (laughs) So all of our listeners out there in Center of the World, Ohio, this is a time to plug in because we've got one of your favorites, Jenny Greminger, Vice President of Administrative Services from State Farm, is with us today, and we're absolutely delighted to have her. And she is a huge Ohio State fan, much to Ray and I's chagrin. We've already been talking to her about that, trying to convince her to change her loyalties, and she will have none of it. Jenny, am I right there, or can we convince you to go to the dark side? There's probably no swaying at this point. I'm (laughs) kind of all in on the Buckeyes right now. Well, it is a delight to have Jenny Greminger, a remarkable executive in State Farm, has a great history. I've had the chance to work with her over the years, and it's been an absolute delight to watch how she has led and served as an executive in that company. But Jenny, we have as one of our first questions that we ask all of our executive guests, we'd like you to share a little bit about yourself and certainly not be modest, which actually is your approach. We don't accept the modesty on the podcast, so we want you to talk a little bit about yourself, do some bragging, and then we'll get into some questions around communication. Well, thank you, and I appreciate being here. I came to State Farm straight out of architecture school. I went to Iowa State and got my architecture degree, and I just, I kind of wanted to get out of Iowa for, not because I didn't like it, I just wanted something different. And so I came to State Farm, actually, because it was more stable employment than like a big architectural firm where, you know, you, you might get laid off if there wasn't a big project. And so I came to State Farm, and I had to work for three to five years under a registered architect before I could take exams. So I thought, I'll work three to five years, then I'll leave, and I'll, you know, get into a big architectural firm or something. And that kind of all fell apart, like just within months when I got there. But um, a big building project came up in Ohio. And that's kind of where I started my love for the Buckeyes. But I had been in design for for maybe three years, big construction project came up. So we were putting an addition on a great big building out there. And I thought, well, that'd be kind of cool to go learn the construction side of the business. So I relocated to Columbus for about three years. Um, I happened one day, I just happened to be the person that picked up the phone and the, the regional maintenance supervisor said, hey, could you go tell the manager that I'm never coming in again? And I thought, you know, when we talk about communication, that's really actually <laughs> something, that's actually something that you should do. But he said, I, I don't want to talk to anybody, but I'm never coming in again. So I went to the manager and I said, hey, this individual is not coming in anymore. He goes, well, then I guess you're the supervisor. So um, that's how I got into leadership. It was kind of strange. There was no wow. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it was the regional maintenance team. And at the time they had this great big building. So it was mechanical rooms, big boilers, chillers, things I knew nothing about. And there, I think there were 14 maintenance men. They'd been there a really long time. They had zero desire for female young supervisor who knew nothing about their world. 
And, um, and I don't know that that's really the world that I wanted either, but that sometimes we just play the cards that were dealt, I guess. So um, needless to say, I was not killing it from the first moment I was in there, but it turned out to be probably the single most important leadership experience that I've had in all these years of leadership is probably the most important. Yeah. Tell us about that. Why that one was so important to you. So one of the most difficult individuals that was, you know, just disagreed with me on pretty much everything and just was very difficult to supervise. He came up to me one day and he said, you know what I like about you? I like the fact that all the crap that gets to you never gets to me and I can just do my job. Mm. Like at that moment that I knew that's your job as a leader. That is your job is to protect the people that are trying to get the work done, that are trying to you know deliver for the customer, that are trying to keep a building going, that are trying to procure products. Whatever your job as a supervisor is, is that single job of how do you protect them? from all the input, all the feedback that comes in. And so I thought, you know what, that's my most important role right now. And then I think I just learned along the way, you know, I think through all of them, they kind of taught me how to be a good supervisor. And, you know, in the end, it was just at the end of that whole experience, it was, it was truly amazing. Just really good individuals that taught me a lot about, you know, how to communicate with them. I probably had a lot of communication follies during that time, but it was such a good learning environment. What I'm hearing you say, Jenny, is that one of your first learning experiences about communication as a leader and manager was running interference with the people that work for you to be able to filter that information, to shield them from the stuff that prevented them from getting their job done, and yet being able to redirect that in terms of your own communication. Yeah, you're exactly right. And it was literally about kind of sitting in the middle between all these people that were trying to get things done and all the demands that were coming in and then filtering all that and deciding how do I negotiate on one side for what somebody really needs? And then how do I negotiate with my folks on reprioritizing sometimes? And so, you know, you find yourself in this kind of mediator role between all the the inputs and the outputs type of thing. And so I learned um, how valuable that is to listen and still today. I mean, I think for the next few minutes that we're going to talk, you're going to hear that a lot. It's just this value of listening to people. I also came into leadership when the organization wanted you to be mobile. Mm. And so right now, certainly very, very different environment, but I relocated eight different times with the organization. And, you know, I saw a huge benefit. It was really tough. I mean, I saw a huge benefit in it though, because we'll hear people say this, but I think until you experience different cultures and just different slight nuances from city to city and different economies and cities. And I'll I'll give you an example. So when I was a leader in Phoenix, I had a large portion of my staff that on the weekends, you know, they went to Mexico because they were caring for family that was still there. Well, Mm. that doesn't happen necessarily in Ohio where, you know, in the Midwest, sometimes a lot of your family is right there in the same city. They might be in the same building and they're in the same state. And so even those slight nuances just made me think about, you know, how do I manage differently? And certainly, you know, communication is is at the heart of all of that. Mm-hmm. Well, not, not only communication, but doing some background research on you for fun bumped into the fact that you were identified as Purdue's best and brightest <laughs> 2019 EMBA quotes that people gave about you suggested that it was all about caring. Yeah, you know, one so one day one of my directors, it's been just in the last couple months, he he came in, he said, Can I ask you a really blunt question? And I said, you know, I've I've always been open to it and I usually don't shy away from tough questions. So I said, Absolutely. And he goes, Jenny, when did you become an advocate for black people? And it was really, really interesting because if you think about it, you can just fill in the blank. You know, when did you become an advocate for 
My adult son is autistic. And so we have kind of lived a life of an individual with an intellectual disability. And you quickly see how some groups of people, how certain individuals get marginalized mm-hmm. and they get, they get stereotyped and they get marginalized. And it was, you know, for me, I answered that question. I said, when it got personal to me and I said, I just hope that what I can share with people as I talk about my leadership journey, or I talk about unity as a team is don't wait until it gets personal to you, you know, to, to decide if you're going to care or what position you're going to take on some of these issues. And so if I can share my story through individual conversation or group conversation, just to say, don't wait till it gets personal because there's a lot of people that need you right now and you will have teams that need you. And so for me, I just decided that I'm going to be, you know, if there's, there's nobody that should be my son's advocate more than his mom. Let me push that a little further, Jenny, because here you are working in a Fortune 50 company and person comes to you and says, when did you become an advocate? Talk about the notion of advocacy from an executive role, because I think both Ray and I are interested in that and the notion that you are an advocate. I know you're an advocate for women in leadership. And you said it really resulted from my son and how people who are marginalized have to be represented somehow. So I'm going to give you an example of a conversation I had with a woman the other day. She is a transgender individual. And we got kind of paired up as as a mentor-mentee partner in kind of a weird way. But I just kind of led it with, I do not know your journey. And I cannot even speak to the culture, the science, the emotion. I can't speak to any of this. But if you still want to want to mentor, let's let's do this. So she called me the other day and she said, I need your help. I have become the poster child for transgender individuals. And I don't want to do it anymore. That I'm on every panel. I'm in every conversation. I'm always the quote. She said, I don't want to do it anymore. So it was interesting. I asked her, I said, tell me the thing that someone says to you that puts you in this position that you just, you want to get away from. And she said, it usually starts by someone saying, how can I be your ally? And she said, as much as I don't like the word hate, hate that question. And I've probably said that question, like, how can I be a better ally? And I said, please help me, you know, educate me a little bit. And she said, Jenny, do you go up to somebody and go, how can I be your friend? She said, we did that in like second grade. We don't go to somebody and go, how can I best be your friend? And I'm, you know, and it struck me like, it is kind of that simple. And I said, so would a better question be, you've met a lot of people and you've had a lot of different advocates. What makes a really good advocate? And she said, that's what I'm talking about. I can tell you about the experiences I've had. So for me, all these categories of diversity, I find myself is, am I listening? And am I asking honest questions? Not the question that is the easy question to ask, but the question that might make me even more vulnerable, or it might even expose me a little bit more like how much I don't know. And I feel like that's the best place to start in some of the space is, and I think we had talked earlier about just some some things, some challenges that we've had in communication. And you know, hands down, number one challenge has been the pandemic. None of us expected to get to know our employees on this incredibly intimate level that we have. We were, we were taught to like draw this line, be kind of personal personal life and professional life. We'll talk about work-life balance, but I don't really want to get into your life part because that's really, it's very personal and maybe I shouldn't do it. Maybe I couldn't do it. So, you know, a lot of times we draw this really hard line and the pandemic just wiped all that away. We got brought into people's homes and their economic situations, their mental health, their physical health. And, you know, there's no time like right now that you got to figure out how do you ask the right questions. I'm hearing you say to be an advocate, it really starts with listening. Oh, you're exactly right. And and I'll go back to the example. All I'm doing is repeating you, Jenny. So that means you're exactly right. 
<laughs> you know, go back to the example of the, the uh, mentee relationship I have with this transgender woman. When I, before the first meeting, I did what a lot of people probably would do. I started reading everything I possibly could on the internet to see if I could quickly become educated. That is a, just a really bad attempt because there's too much stuff. It's very emotional. It's politicized. It's got all this opinion. And I found myself getting overwhelmed by, okay, I've got a meeting on Tuesday and I know nothing. Only thing I did know is that I could ask some questions. And so I just stopped reading and I thought, I'm just going to ask some questions. I'm going to just lay it out there. Like what I do know, what I don't know. And, and kind of give people the, the invite to say, I just don't want to talk about that. And it's not your business. Kind of <laughs> you know, Jenny, I want to shift gears on you for just a minute. You started a program a couple of years back in your organization where you had people share statements about who they were. Yes. We, um, as a department, we have quite a large department. We um, encouraged everyone to do these I am who I am. And so it started getting used for like introductions and um, just, we'd almost like read it. It's almost like this quick little really personal resume before you met somebody. It was great. So we decided as a department, if you were comfortable with it, I wanted you to use the video time. So we produced these two, three minute videos that just got in a little bit deeper about who we are. And it was just intended to make us real. It was intended to open conversation, doors in conversation that maybe somebody's like, hey, I didn't know that, but I feel like I have a connectivity to that person. So it gives me a good conversation topic. And, and we've just, we called it kind of I am who I am 2.0. Some people weren't comfortable with it, but we just learned a lot about people. And it was just another way to, to get people talking. And I remember you doing that. In fact, as a way of even kicking it off, you did your own video. And so you got folks to do videos. And my memory was that it was pretty widespread and well-received within your organizational unit. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the thing is, a lot of people that chose not to do it still went out there and, and watched everybody else. And I'm okay with that. Ray, I want to let you get in. I'm hogging all the airtime by quizzing Jenny. So I want you to feel free to ask a question and also feel free to critique Jenny on her uh, Purdue program. No, we don't have time for that. <laughs> but I would like I would like to wonder with you, Jenny, uh, very early in your comments, you mentioned moving so often as a result of your association with State Farm, uh, taking you so many different places and so many different experiences. When or how did you develop your openness to change? Because it's clear that a lot of people emotionally couldn't handle that kind of constant movement, that kind of constant change. There's a lot of people who wouldn't naturally be open to the differences they experience in their colleagues or in their workforce. It seems to me that your style, your approach is so remarkably open to both the differences and the changes you encounter. Can you remember how and when you developed that? Yeah, thanks, Ray. So I grew up in a family where we didn't um, we didn't talk openly. My parents are super disciplined people and, you know, you could kind of worked it out yourself. We didn't have big family meetings. We didn't have big conversations at the dinner table. It's just not how it was. And so I was not wired that way. You know, when I went to Phoenix, my son had just been diagnosed with autism. For many autistic individuals, there is a huge communication barrier and he, he struggled with it. And so I've always said, I'm not really super big on fate, but I think there's probably an element of fate, like why we ended up in Phoenix. I ended up finding a a pediatrician for him, a development pediatrician at Phoenix Children's Hospital, which is an amazing organization. And I met with her and she's like, you know, tell me why you're here. And I remember telling her, I said two things. One, I just want to know what went wrong. And the second thing is, and then I want to know how to fix it. And I'll never forget, she gets like right in my face. And she said, okay, a couple of things. One, in your lifetime, you will never know it's too complex of a disorder. She said, I've been working in this and research for years and years and years. And I don't even have a clue. So maybe you should get over that. And I was, you know, at that point, you're, you kind of think like, I might wow. get, I kind of 
do I get a different pediatrician? Because I don't really like her right now. And then the second thing she said to your second question about how do I fix it? She looked at him and she said, there's no fixing this. This is going to be your life. She said, you're just going to make it better. And he needs you. And I realized how powerful it was to help somebody that if you're willing to be a little bit vulnerable and willing to tell a story and kind of doubling down on your beliefs and doubling down on just what you learn, just the power of what it can do. Now, you know, I'm, I'm super blessed. My son has become high verbal. He is very literal in his communication. So he teaches me how to be very literal in my patient or my communication back. So I think it kind of started there is it came out of a need that he had that frankly, I wasn't good at. There was a lot of trial and error, a lot of my story of communication. Well, my experience with most executives, I've not run into many executives who are as open to those differences and who are willing to accept them and then work toward not a resolution, but a positive outcome, a positive connection. Mm -hmm. And so I certainly wanted to get your frame of reference on how that came about. Ray, as you were saying, I was thinking, embracing that sense of chaos. Very few executives that we work with on a regular basis are prepared to embrace chaos. And yet, Jenny, I think Sam really did give you that experience. I remember when we first met and you said, I'm this highly organized person that likes to get from A to B as quick as possible. And when Sam came into my life, that all changed. Now, I hate to do this. We do want to Jenny, in with one question with all the executives, and that is about your communication heroes. And the question is, what are some of your communication heroes? Please don't feel the need to say the twins, even though that's probably true. But we would like to hear your heroes. And I guess I'd want to say to you, Jenny, in advance, I would love to have you back if at some point you're willing to to talk about several of the issues we haven't even gotten close to. And you don't even have to raise our demographics to do that. Almost every other guest, they have to contribute to an increase in demographics to be invited back. We'd probably invite you back just simply because there's so many unexplored topics. You want to speak to your communication heroes? You know, it's an interesting question. So it's no one from Michigan, but I'm just <laughs> Oh, wait. I'm just kidding. Oh, now, Ray, we'll have to talk about whether we're going to keep that invitation. I know. I just blew it. I just blew it. You know, um, I don't know that I have specific names because I, I will tell you, anybody who tells me that they're self-made, I always laugh at because we are just a whole bunch of parts of all these people that have influenced us. I mean, for me, the people that I admire in communication and leadership space are the people that are that really take a focus on balancing of talking and they balance listening. And so, you know, a lot of us like will prepare comments and these are all the things I want to say, but how many people sit down and go, what do I want people to hear? And I think when you ask that question, not like, what do I want to say, but what do I want people to hear? So if I say there's a lot of change coming, change is really good for us. What's actually heard is somebody thinks, okay, something's going to, it's threatening me personally. There's something that might be threatening me. And that's what they're hearing. And so I admire those people that think that way first, like what they can hear in my words. And I choose, choose my words really. Like, I admire the people that I believe it and I believe them because I see that their behaviors are exactly matched with their words. And if they don't match, then somebody comes back and goes, you know what? I know I told you this. And then in execution, it looked like this. And I, I kind of changed my position that, you know, I don't expect, I don't have heroes that are perfect communicators. It's actually the people that are honest about what happens. So we were talking about a little bit about diversity. So MLK Day, my leaders and I were together and we live streamed Travion Martin's mom. She did a, a conversation in a town near 
nearby. And she had made the comment. She said, um, if you're going to call yourself an activist, then you need to act. If you're going to call yourself a communicator, then you got to think about all the realms of communication. And that's listening and it's thinking and it's pausing and it's talking. It's all those different things. So that's who my heroes are. People pull that off. Terrific, terrific response, Jenny. Super. Jenny, thanks so much for being with us. Like I, said, I appreciate it. We're going to try to get you back. I would love that. The twins are done talking for today. Now it's your turn. We'd love to hear from you with feedback regarding today's theme or a situation you'd like us to step into during a future session. You can reach us at twintalk46 at gmail.com. Remember, no communication problem is so big, so complicated, or so intense that we can't make it larger, more complex, or more dangerous than it already is almost effortlessly. And we'd like to thank Kevin McLeod for the score that both began and ended this podcast. Mm-hmm.